Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. We all view the Bible differently. We read things in the Bible we don't understand. Sometimes you don't trust it. You've lost interest. Maybe you're not a reader. Maybe you don't even know where to start and you don't get it. You know what? There are many reasons why people don't read the Bible. What if you had a different approach? What if you could confidently open the pages of the Bible and actually experience something fresh in your life? In this series, we'll discover why there's more to these pages than you think. Pastor Jeff Brody of Connexus Church in Barrie brings us part one of a Hits Different series. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Jeff. Well, we're jumping into uh, the first part of a series called It Hits Different, and it's all about experiencing the Bible for yourself. Now, uh, here's a little bit of what today is going to look like. Uh, to start, I know this is a brave thing to do on a Time Change Sunday, but to start, you're going to need to put your thinking cap on today, okay? You're going to engage your mind, and then uh, as we get closer to the end, we're going to engage your heart, and I've got a special treat for you in the middle. How does that sound? A surprise. Okay? So uh, really looking forward to this. Now, It Hits Different is all about experiencing the Bible for yourself. Now, we're, I'm calling it It Hits Different because there is something different about the Bible. Uh, for those of you who will call yourselves followers of Jesus, you might say, yeah, there is something different about the Bible. It's, it's God speaking to me. I'm understanding more of who God is. It's different than any other book I've read. For some of you, you would say, yeah, it is different because it's the most boring book I've ever tried to read in my life. Or I've tried reading it and it doesn't make any sense to me. And you're saying, I would rather just read, you know, a Ken Follett novel or something like that or some other book. Or maybe, maybe you love manuals. I'd love to read a manual rather than read the Bible. You know, whatever it is. But, but it is different for you too. There's something about the Bible that hits different. And I want to start today with a question. The question is, how would you describe your relationship with the Bible? When I say the Bible, do you, what do you feel emotionally? Uh, what are the questions that come to mind? Uh, what is the experience you feel you've had in the past? I, I recently sent out uh, a note to my email list. And if you're not on my email list, you should get on it because I'm going to be sending out a bunch of resources in this series. You can just go to the website. You'll find it there. And... Um, I went to my email list and I said to the email list this question, how would you describe your relationship with the Bible? Now, there are a bunch of people who initially said, you know, I love the Bible. I read the Bible regularly. It's helping me grow in my faith. And that's great. I'm really excited about that if that's you. But there are a bunch of other responses that I got that I wanted to share with you this morning. Okay, so here they are. Some people said non-existent. Um, I just don't read the Bible at all. And if that's you, I'm really glad you're here. Some people would say guilt-driven. I know there's a group of people who are like, well, I know I should read it. And like it sits on my nightstand. And it's amazing. The Bible sits on your nightstand and you're not even reading it. It's making you feel guilty, right? Because it's sitting there and you're like, oh, I should open it. On again, off again. Some people would say sometimes I read it, sometimes I don't. Emergency only. Whenever things are bad, I go and get my Bible open. A bunch of people said that. Some people would say they lack trust in the Bible. And then I thought this was the best. One person wrote this. It's complicated. <laughs> and actually, when you look at this list, it could describe maybe like a boyfriend or girlfriend you had in high school. Who knows? <laughs> but but there, there is an element of 
it is complicated. It is complicated. Whether you read the Bible, or whether you've got thoughts about the Bible, or whether you've tried reading the Bible, there is a part of it that's complicated. There's a part of it that can be any of these things. And uh, I want to share with you a bit of an illustration of what my goal is for you in this series. Okay, so my two boys, um, part of their role in our home, Team Brody, okay, that's the team we're on. Part of their role on the team is when it snows is to shovel the driveway at our house. That's right. They've told me many times they should have a snowblower. You don't need to tell me. And uh, they shovel the driveway at the house. And so whenever it snows, I'm constantly trying to uh, motivate them to shovel the driveway, to inspire them to shovel the driveway. I know other parents, you probably don't have to do that with your kids, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to motivate and inspire. And I can give them a, a speech like, man, you know, you got to shovel the driveway because it's how you contribute to this family. That one doesn't quite work so well. Or maybe I might say, hey, you know, you need to get out there because this is a part of what we do. Maybe, maybe I would vote, motivate them with cash. Maybe some of you have tried that as parents. You know, oh man, you get out there. I'll give you a little bit of money. Who knows? But I'm trying to motivate them. And in some ways, I could give them the best speech. I could give them the William Wallace Braveheart speech of shoveling the driveway and just say, you know, you are going to inspire the rest of the street when they see the quality of the driveway that you shovel. And they'll know that, you know, and and I could really inspire them. I could inspire them to shovel the driveway. We can put Inspire up. I could inspire them to kind of shovel the driveway. Next slide. I could, there we go. (laughs) Inspire them. Inspire them to shovel the driveway and say, man, go for it, go for it. Now, if they got out to the driveway and they got there and I said, here, there you go out. And they went out to the driveway and I gave them, you know, a garden rake and one of those shovels you use at the beach and said, go to it. Their inspiration level would drop pretty quickly. The reason it would drop so quickly is because they haven't equipped them with the right tools. That is one thing to be inspired, but my other goal is not just to inspire you, but to equip you when it comes to experiencing the Bible. Because maybe you've had this experience where somebody like me inspired you to open your Bible or inspired you to read the Bible. And you thought, okay, I'm going to read it. I'm excited about it. And then you opened it and you said, I have no idea what this means. Or, I don't really get it. And all of a sudden, your inspiration went, because you need to be both inspired and equipped. And that's my goal for you in this series. Now, in equipping you, my goal is not to turn you all into seminary students or PhDs in the Bible, or, you know, I'm going to teach you how to be the best biblical scholars that are out there. No, no, no. This goal, the goal of this series is for everyday people like us, to be able to experience the Bible for ourselves. So the question I want to start with is this. Why do Christians read the Bible? Now, if you ask some Christians why they read the Bible, they would give you a lot of good answers. They would say, well, it's God's word to us. Or they would say, well, I read the Bible because uh, I just trust that it has good things to say. Some of you would say, I read the Bible because it gives me good advice. I'm not sure I believe it all. There are a number of reasons why Christians don't read the Bible. They read it to, they, they think it's God's word. God's going to speak to them. I think all those things are true. But one of the reasons that we read our Bible is we read our Bible because Jesus did. One of the reasons that Christians, and we sometimes forget this, we read the Bible because Jesus read the Bible. 
In fact, now the Bible Jesus had was different than the Bible that we have. In, in our Bibles, we have two sections. We have the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament that uh, predates Jesus, it was written over a thousand years. Uh, those who are Jewish would read the Old Testament, and Jesus, who was Jewish, he would read the Old Testament. And so for him, that was his Bible. Now, we also have the New Testament. Now, Jesus didn't have the New Testament because he was living the New Testament. So the New Testament is where you have uh, the life of Jesus and the early church. Okay, so Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament. And you see Jesus holding his Bible in high regard. That Jesus, you could say that Jesus, when he was walking this earth, couldn't live without his Bible. He, he was passionate about the Bible. In fact, you would see him do a number of things with the Bible. You would see him teach it. We'll call it scripture. He taught scripture. You see him, he would show up in the synagogue as a rabbi because they didn't have Bibles and they didn't have the Bible app, that's for sure. And so uh, what they would do is if you wanted to hear the Old Testament scriptures, you would have to go to synagogue and then uh, you'd have to listen to whatever scrolls they had at that synagogue. So maybe they had like Isaiah and Psalms and Zechariah, a few of the Old Testament ones, and they would open the scroll and read it. And Jesus would often teach from it in those moments. He taught scripture. He read scripture in that way. He memorized scripture. I would argue that Jesus probably had memorized the whole Old Testament. That you would see him quoting scripture all the time. And often um, he would be quoting scripture to the disciples or to people he was teaching. He he leaned on scripture in the hardest of times. You see, when he's tempted, the first thing he does is he leans on the memorized scripture that he has in his life. And he corrected with scripture. He would say, well, you've heard it said that, but let me show you this other thing in scripture. That Jesus was highly, highly engaged with his Bible. So now we see Jesus highly engaged in his Bible in the New Testament. So if you're here today and you're wondering, how can I even trust my Bible? Let's just talk a little bit about that for a moment. How do we know that the New Testament accounts of Jesus are actually accurate? If we see Jesus in the New Testament reading the Bible, how do we know that's actually accurate? Okay, so this is where we're going to nerd out for a little bit. So stay with me, even though you've lost an hour of sleep, okay? We're going to turn our brains up a notch here, and I just want to share this with you because it's really important. In the New Testament, when you read about the accounts of Jesus, um, those accounts, in fact, the entire New Testament, including the early church and what Paul wrote, those were written within 50 years of Jesus' personal ministry. That, um, the, that timeline is very, very, very short. Where uh, you look at the Old Testament, it was written over a thousand years. This was written within 50 years because the motivation of people was to get the word out about this Jesus. Well, we got to take these oral accounts of Jesus and get them, we need to get them written down and we need to get them sent out. And in fact, so you would have all, all of these were first generation Christians who had written about Jesus. So now they're getting it out, they're getting it out, they're getting it out. Now, Um, when they got it out, you might say, okay, where is the original that they wrote down? Where are the original gospels and the original letters that Paul wrote down? Where, Where have they all gone? Well, we don't have them anymore because they didn't preserve them. Paul didn't write the letter to the Philippians or uh, we didn't, Matthew didn't write his gospel and then put it under glass and say, okay, now we're going to preserve it. The goal was to get the word out. 
So they would say, oh, you have a copy? You know, you might be at someone's house and they had a copy. You want to write down your, let me copy it. Let me copy it. Let me get it out. We wanted to get the word out and get the word out. So, so a lot of those early original manuscripts would have just disintegrated over time. But when it comes to the Bible, the, um, you have a manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts are 100 years later, with the ones that they found, and there are 25,000 manuscripts. So to give you an idea when it comes to ancient literature, it's more manuscripts than any other ancient literature. Homer's Iliad, there's 643. Of the works of Aristotle that you read, there's 49, I think, manuscripts. Actually, I wrote it on my hand. 49 manuscripts. There's only 49 of those. And yet we read it and go, oh, this is what Aristotle said. But for Scripture, I mean, when it comes to ancient literature, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then you have the life of Jesus being written about by other people. Jewish historians, Roman historians. It's not just in the New Testament. So then in these 25,000 manuscripts, as people wrote and copied and wrote and copied and wrote and copied, the Greek ones are the most valuable. There are about 5,600 of those. As people wrote and copied, you wonder, well, what happened to the message? Because we all have played that game telephone as a kid, right? You whisper in someone's ear, you know, the red ball went down the street. And then it goes all the way around and it's like, you know, John has smelly feet or whatever on the other end. Right? And you go, like, how does that happen? How, didn't, isn't that what happened with the manuscripts? I think that's a real question. Like, if you're asking that question, you're asking a good question. That's the question I would ask. And what they've done is they've done something called context, they've done uh, textual criticism where they, they look across all of these 25,000 and they find out, are there errors? What does it look like? And there are variants. Nobody de- denies that. You've got spelling errors and you've got punctuation. And there are a couple of places actually where, you know, Jesus fed the 4,000, one says. And another gospel, it says Jesus fed the 5,000. Well, was it two separate events or the same event? Just remember differently. Nobody, nobody entirely knows. I mean, to me, that's what gives it more validity. That it's not manipulated to be exactly the same people. I mean, we've all been to a party and walked away and had different memories of the same party. Right? That happens. And, but out of these 25,000 manuscripts and all the textual criticism across it, they would, they would argue, scholars would argue, 99.8% of the New Testament is textually pure. There is 0.2 that would change the meaning. And when you read your Bible, there's always a note. Hey, the, this manuscript would have said this, or this manuscript would have said that. They always make a note of it. So when you see outside readings of the New Testament talking about Jesus, and then in the New Testament, you've got writings talking about Jesus, and these documents that we know are accurate, what you see when you look at the life of Jesus is that he really valued his Bible. See, we don't trust in Jesus. We don't trust in Jesus because of the Bible. We trust in the Bible because of Jesus. That Jesus who lived on this earth and died and rose again, he valued the Bible. This Jesus of the New Testament, he valued the Bible. And it's because of him that we read our Bible. Now, there are a lot of other reasons we can learn about God and we we can learn about the truth of God and all of those things. But this is one of the reasons. Now, what did Jesus say about the Bible? Well, that's important to think. If Jesus valued the Old Testament so much, what did he say about it? What did he say about the importance of the Bible? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, 
you see Jesus teaching something called, uh, people call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's like his greatest sermon. And what he's teaching is he teaches this sermon. It's really about what he's doing, this kingdom he's bringing. And he's talking about this kingdom he's bringing, how he's doing something different. He's doing a new thing. And he's talking about this, the kingdom of God. And, and everybody's listening. He starts saying things like, man, this kingdom, the most important people are going to be the humble people and the meek people and the pure of heart people. And people are like, wow, the persecuted people. These are going to be the most important people. And people are like, wow, Jesus, you're teaching some radical stuff. You're turning it all upside down. Does that mean that we shouldn't read our Bible anymore, Jesus? Does that mean we shouldn't listen to Scripture anymore? And then this is what Jesus says. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law. Or some might say, uh, I think a better translation here, you've got abolish, another one would be deconstruct or ignore. Those are kind of all together. I didn't come to abolish, deconstruct, ignore the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. That's what they would have called the Old Testament. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I've come to accomplish what you see in the Old Testament. When you look at the Old Testament and it talks about a coming Messiah, a promised one, the love of God, it's talking about me. I'm the coming Messiah. I'm accomplishing the purposes of the Old Old Testament. He says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So then he says this. He says, so if... You ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same. You will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, if you ignore scripture, if you ignore the Bible, if you ignore what God says to us, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to be a part of what I'm doing. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to experience life change. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to experience this new thing I'm doing. He says, but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Say, man, but if you obey scripture, if you engage with scripture, you're going to experience something new. You're going to experience what I'm up to. He says, the purposes of the Old Testament are being accomplished in me. And then he gives them a warning. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean here? Why this warning? Because the Pharisees knew their Bible and they knew the law. In fact, they knew it so well, they valued it so much, they added 600 laws on top of the law just to be safe. And they thought, man, look how perfectly we're keeping it. And they knew all the loopholes and everything. Look how perfect, if we keep it just perfectly, that's the goal here. And Jesus is saying, no, the goal here isn't to just live it perfectly. That's not the goal. The goal is about heart change. And the focus isn't just the law. The focus is me. Watch what he writes in John chapter 5. He says to them this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scripture points to me. The point of our Bibles is Jesus. The point of our Bibles is that Jesus wants to do something in our lives. John Mark Comer, who um, is a pastor, I would argue a theologian, he says this. He says, for Jesus, there's a reciprocal relationship between how we approach the Bible and the level of our experience in the kingdom of God. 
He said, if you want to experience God, it's all about how you approach the Bible. If you want to experience what God has for your life, you've got to experience the Bible. You've got to engage the Bible. And he's saying, if you're not, if you're not experiencing the Bible, you're missing out on what God has for your life. Another way to say it is this. The way we approach the Bible impacts the way we experience God in our life. That God wants us to experience him and meet him and be pointed to him by engaging scripture, which is what Jesus did. So then the question becomes, how do we approach the Bible? What does it mean to engage the Bible? How do we approach it? There's a really good model that the apostle Paul gives, and he gives it to a guy he's mentoring named Timothy. And uh, he's mentoring Timothy. Timothy knows a fair bit about the Bible because there's two women who really taught him a lot about it. And Paul wants to talk to him about how to approach Scripture. And this is what he says to him in his letter in 2 Timothy. He starts this way. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. He says, Timothy, one of the things you got to know, if you were with him, he'd say, hey, one of the things you got to know about the Bible, listen, 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 the Bible is God-breathed. Now, when you see breath in the Bible, I've taught on the Holy Spirit before, you probably know what that means is God-breathed means the Holy Spirit has inspired Scripture. That there were people who wrote down, for sure, all of these things. But it is God who divinely inspired what they said. I would put it this way. The Bible is divinely inspired and written in, in partnership with human beings. If you want to talk about one of the things that makes the Bible different, It's a God-inspired book written by human beings. I mean, that is a book that no other book can really claim to be. Now, I want to give you an illustration of this. So I'm asking some guys to bring this out. So let's let's welcome on the stage as they come on. I wouldn't say that was rousing, but I'll take it. Okay, guys, thank you. So uh, on, on, on this table here, I have a group of instruments, and they all have one thing in common. You may have put it together already. So this is a flute. Um, This is a clarinet, right? This is a clarinet. I wasn't in the band, clearly, when I was in school. This is a giant recorder, right? Now, all all of these instruments make different sounds. They all make different kinds of music. We could have a trumpet. We could have a trombone. We could have all kinds of instruments. They all make a different sound but they all need breath to make the sound. And when you read your Bible, which is really a library of books, you have different people who've written songs, different people who have written poems, people who've written prophecy, people who've written historical accounts, people who've written letters. They're all super skilled, all very, very skilled at what they do. Just like we have different instruments that make different sounds, but it's all the same breath divinely inspired. It wasn't that they were all in a trance. Somebody was just in a trance and they just wrote the words down. They're all I mean, incredibly skilled at their craft. But it was the same God who inspired them all. God breathed. And I don't want you to forget this. I think it's so important. And so I've asked Terry to, uh, I'm going to invite him on in a moment, to play for you from what I would say is the greatest wind instrument of them all. Come on out, Terry. 
Thank you, Terry. So if you weren't awake, you're awake now. The Bible is divinely inspired and written in partnership with human beings. Different instruments, the same breath. And that's what Paul wanted Timothy to know. Before you even start approaching this text, remember where it came from. And remember who's speaking to you through it. And then he says this, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching teaching you about who God is, teaching you about what he wants for your life, teaching you about different aspects of life, teaching you about finances and relationships and all these things, rebuking, which is, I think, better translated, um, convicting you, conviction. God's saying something to you in your life. Correcting and training in righteousness. Now, I love this. Training in righteousness, uh, the translation is like trained up, like training up a child. And I would say this has been very much my experience in Scripture, that it's training you up as you get older. That the, the way you, you hear the Bible when you're 20 is different than when you're 40, is different when you're 60, is different than when you're 80, that it's training you up the older you get. The Bible isn't a, a, a book that you're meant to sit down and read in one sitting. But, but the Bible is meant to be read over your entire lifetime. And he says, training up in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. One way I would kind of summarize all this is this. The Bible is for you when it comes to God. If you want to learn about who God is, if you want to learn about what he has to say about relationships, if you want to learn what he has to say about finance, if you want to learn what he has to say about decision-making and wisdom, if you want to learn what he has to say about the choices in your life, the Bible is for you when it comes to God. But here's the thing, and it's for God when it comes to you. There are things that God wants to say to you that you're not thinking about. There are questions he wants to ask you that you're not asking. And when you read the Bible, God will begin to speak to you. He'll say, yeah, here's the answer to your question, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? I know when you come to the text, Jeff, this is the question you're asking, but I've got a different question for you. I've got something to say to you. See, the Bible is for you when it comes to God, but it's for God when it comes to you. And that's what makes reading the Bible an experience. Because God wants to speak to you. Now, my guess is some of you are sitting there, and this is what you're thinking. That sounds nice, but that hasn't been my experience. I've tried, Jeff. It hasn't been like that. I opened my Bible, and I don't know. I, I, I just opened it, and it didn't make any sense to me. And I want to talk today about two, really briefly, and then this is kind of what we're going to key on through the series in our Inspiring and Equipping. This is kind of what we're going to key on. And the first is something called technique. Now, some of you are seeing that word technique, and you're like, oh, boy. It sounds very academic. But what I'm talking about is just being equipped to know the basics of what you're reading and what it's trying to say. In particular, the context of what you're reading. Because I, I can tell you, if you go home and you just open your Bible, and you flip it open, and you put your finger in there, and you read something, there's chances it's going to be weird. You're going to be like, what? Like, she cut his hair and then he wasn't strong anymore? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
It's like I should be growing long hair. Is that what I should be doing? I can't grow long hair. I'm bald. Like, what now? Am I not spiritual? Like, what do I do? Like, there, there are things in Scripture that if you just, if you don't know the context, if you don't know what it's about, for you, you're going to look at it and you're going to go, I don't get this. I don't agree with this. I think this is wrong. There are a lot of, there are a lot of assumptions about Scripture on the internet. You can go and YouTube them until your heart's content. For people who don't know the context of what they're reading, who don't understand where it's coming from and where it's going, and so we're going we're gonna to do some technique, a little bit of technique in this series. But then there are a lot of people who have a lot of technique that would say they haven't experienced God through their Bible. I, I had professors in school that knew lots academically about the Bible, but it hadn't really changed their lives. God hadn't really spoken to them through it. Why would that be? Well, because it's not just about technique, it's also about posture. It's about the posture of your heart. It's about coming to God and saying, I'm open to what you have to say to me. See, I've got a question for you. When you've read the Bible, do you read the Bible for information or formation? There's a guy named Robert Mulholland who talks about this, and he talks about the fact that in the Western world, we value information so highly. The one with the most information wins, right? If you can get that stock tip before someone else, you will win. If you can be the, the first to market, you will win. If you can get ahead, if you can get the most information, if you can know more than the next person, information is of highest value. And the more you know, the better you must be. But that's a very Western mindset. Scripture isn't about information. It's about formation. It's about being formed. It's about being changed. When it comes to to this whole topic of the Bible forming you, I might be the only pastor who will tell you this, but I think you should read, some of you should read less of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you should read the Bible less. I'm just saying you might want to read less of the Bible. Here's what I mean. Here at Connexus and in other places, in order to help you read the Bible, we'll often give you a reading plan, right? We'll give you one of these reading plans, and you'll get really excited, very inspired, and you'll say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this reading plan. How many people here, put your hand up if you've ever tried reading the Bible in a year plan. Put your hand up, right? Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you finished Now, why? Because what happens is you start reading it and the week one is good and like week two and you're like, ooh, happy new year. I've got my new year's resolution. You're five weeks in. Then you miss a day. And you think, oh, do I go back? And then like, that's too many chapters. And then you miss this. What if you miss two days? Now you're going to go back and read all. And next thing you know, it's not that you're reading less. You're not reading at all. Because what happens is it just becomes about, I just got to get through it. I just got to check off my weeks. I just got to get through as much content as I can. It's an information mindset. What if you read one verse a day and said, God, speak to me. I'm here to listen. What do you want to say to me through this? If you did that for 365 days, What would God say? 
See, here's the thing. If, if you want to start reading your Bible or start reading your Bible again, it starts on your knees. It starts with coming to God and saying, I want to hear from you. And if I don't agree, I'm still going to listen. And if I don't agree, I'm not going to abolish. I'm not going to deconstruct. I'm not going to ignore. I'm not going to skip that part. But I'm going to be open to how you want to change me. So you got to have posture. You got to have a posture in order to experience God through the Bible. Because if you just have technique and no posture, then you're, you're not really going to really be changed. You're not going to be formed. You're not going to be transformed. The goal of the Bible is formation, not information. Over a lifetime. See, the goal isn't for you to master the Bible. Mahalan would say this. The goal isn't for you to master the Bible. The goal is for the Bible to master you. It's not to get through. I got to get through this. I got to get through these chapters. I got to get through all these verses. The goal is to get the Bible through you, through your heart, through my thick skull. And the more I do that, the more I'm changed. Now, does that mean you're going to read the Bible now every day and it's going to be like, oh, like God's going to speak to you. You're going to have this moment. You know, you're going to weep. You're going to light candles. It's going to be a, no. It's, some days it's going to be like, I don't know. I don't hear anything. But as you do it over time, God will speak to you. But it depends on the posture of your heart. And it depends on you having some technique to understand it. Because if you come to God with an open heart posture, but you don't, you don't understand what's being said, you're going to start doing some weird stuff. We've all met those people. <laughs> but when you have some technique to understand, and you come with that heart posture and say, God, speak to me, he'll speak to you. The Bible is for you when it comes to God, but it's for God when it comes to you. And that's what I want for you. I want you to experience God through reading the Bible. I have the privilege um, sometimes as a pastor to walk with people through their most difficult moments. And uh, in some cases, walk with people in their very last days. And one thing I find in common in so many of those situations is people want me to read them the Bible more than they want me to say anything. They just want me to read the Bible because my observation is that when all the other stuff gets stripped away, because that's what happens in moments like that, you're not caring about anything else. It's the words of scripture that they want to speak to them. Because they know 
that they need to connect with God. What if you lived your whole life that way? What if you lived your whole life experiencing God, experiencing what's true, being formed, and knowing who he is? What would happen for you then? So now you might be wondering, well, Jeff, what do you want me to do? Well, I've got this reading plan about how to read the Bible in a year. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) This is what I want you to do. This week, I want you to pray. I want you to get your Bible on your phone or a paper Bible and pray this. God, change the posture of my heart towards your words in my life. Come, Holy Spirit. And then I want you to read Psalm 119, 105 to 112, which is about the Bible. Now, you might say, but I want to read a bunch of other stuff now. I would argue don't. I would argue read this. If you read this every day over and over and over, and you say, yeah, but I'm not even sure I believe there's a God. Why don't you give it a shot anyway? I mean, what do you have to lose? I think there's a shot that God will speak to you, that he will have something to say to you. Now, you might have some questions today about like, but how is the Bible written? And tell me more about how it was put together and tell me more about how it's trustworthy. And if you're on my email list, um, you can find it on the website. I'm going to be sending you a bunch of stuff on that this week. But what I want you to do is start here. God, I'm open to hearing from you. And read these verses and see what God does. Because I believe that a life experiencing God through the Bible is a life of formation that you'll never get anywhere else. Let me pray. God, we come to you today and uh, we just thank you for the gift of the Bible. We thank you how your spirit speaks to us through it. The spirit that helped write that Bible is the same spirit that helps us understand it. And we pray that that you would speak to us through it. We thank you for the example of Jesus, how he taught scripture, how he memorized scripture, how he valued scripture. And God, I pray that as we look at how he modeled it, that we would do the same. Not because we want more information, but because we want to be shaped by you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.